Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Hank. Wow. My name is Hank, and I'm an abstaining compulsive old reader. I'm going to ask a very personal question. Who here was born after November 30th, 1988? Okay. I've been doing this program longer than you guys have been alive. I came in November 30th, 1988. I don't know where my pictures are, but I... And I didn't know what I weighed, but I went to the, uh, it was a Wednesday night at the 100 Pounders meeting in the Valley. And I saw my internist on, I didn't get anything on Thursday. I was too sick. And, uh, oh, and that was a a week after my daughter's wedding, her first wedding. And uh, I got on the scale at the doctor's office and I weighed 404 pounds. And I'm grateful for that, really am. Because once before I had been 402 and I, dieted my weight down to 350 and I know that if it would have been 401 I probably would have said not so bad mm-hmm. you know that's the way this addict's mind works but 404 I've never seen it I've, I've lost uh, 100 pounds in six months uh, got about to where I am now in a year first year a little more or less up and down a little bit in the program and I just continue I don't I start over every day when I wake up I've had some slips and what works for me I don't know about you guys I did my best slash worst eating alone. So what works for me is I can eat anything I want to eat as long as I'm eating it in front of somebody else. The only condition is they have to be awake. (laughs) Because when I was married, I would sneak soft food into the bed because nothing else was going on. And I had to share it with the dogs. And I I had to share it with the dogs so she wouldn't bark and wake up my wife. You know? So if I can go to a restaurant, I don't go to takeout. So if I do, but I, if I go to the restaurant, sit in the restaurant, it's there. Another thing that works for me, there are some foods I like, and, and I've given them up, and I've taken them back, given them up. What works for me is if I know I want to eat them all, I throw some of them away before I start. That gives me license that I may have eaten all that's left, but I haven't eaten the whole bag and then opened up another bag. That, that's what works for me. About 10, and I'm a lot old, so I'm 30, 29 years seven months in recovery. So it says we were reborn. My um, belly button birthday, I hate saying belly button. I'll be 77 in three months. And I know I don't look it. And I'm grateful for that. Because when I was 40, a doctor said to me, Hank, if you don't do something about your weight, you won't live to see 50. I came in seven years later. And I used to say, any sane person would not have waited seven years. And then I realized any sane person would not have been told that in the first place. You know? An only child, grew up in Brooklyn, went to Dodger games at Dodger Stadium, you know, <laughs> you know, suffered with them, hated them when they moved to L.A. in 1958. Right now I've kind of gotten over that. Uh, Jackie Robinson was my hero. And I don't know if anybody saw the movie 42. There's that scene where Branch Rickey says to Jackie Robinson, you know what I saw today, Jackie? A little white boy pretending he was you. That could have been me. He was my idol, my player. And... Uh, 
and I wear it. I have a Jackie Robinson jersey with the fifth, with the 42 on it, and I wear it on April 15th, which is the date that he broke the color barrier. And uh, so, um, what do we, and I was, oh, I had another career. I mean, I've had a career. I'm semi-retired now, and uh, but my career, my main career, was in broadcast journalism, and the hours were really strenuous before programming because they fed us to keep us alert when we were working election nights or stories like that. They would bring in pizzas and things like that. And then when I got into recovery, I know I, I went on one interview once, and the first thing I did was look at their kitchen, and it was so stocked with food, I turned down the job. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be any part of it. Of course, I know what it was like. Um, so I came in. Uh, I went to a couple of meetings in 1972, I think. And it was Gracie, and it was a church basement in Queens, New York, a rainy night in November, and it was crazy and no money and pray and keep coming back. I went back the next week and I didn't come back 15 years and 3,000 miles later. You know, I knew about it. I kept going back. To, I, was a weight, I was a paid Weight Watchers lecturer. Because the weight comes off quickly on me, but it also comes back quickly. So I, I'm, I'm more cautious today and I do that. So um, my bottom was my daughter's wedding. So here's that. My daughter got married at 20. At 18, she announced she, she ran off with her. She didn't run off. She said she was going with her boyfriend, who had just been drafted by a major league baseball team, and he was playing in the minor leagues. He eventually had a 10-year major league career and subsequently died of an accidental drug overdose in his house after they got divorced. So she knows about 12-step programs, but I'm still not. she still doesn't get it with me with the food. So... Um, I, I have a friend. I have a friend who is an accountant, and one of his clients ran a tuxedo store in um, Tarzana. So he said, "Send." He, he fit hard to God, fit. He, he fitted people who are hard to fit. So I went over there, and the guy asked me how much I weighed, and I lied to him. And I'm not a stupid guy, and I made up a number, and I said, "He has to know I'm lying because it's impossible to weigh the number I said and measure the numbers I'm measuring." And he didn't say anything about it. And um, he said, come back in two months. Uh, there was two months before the wedding, and I came back. I hadn't stopped eating. And uh, so it was, um, so I went back the week before Thanksgiving, the Friday before Thanksgiving. The wedding was the Saturday after Thanksgiving for a final fitting. And he said he had to call to Tennessee to find a tuxedo big enough. They'll ship it, and it'll be your comeback next Friday. And I went home. And this is what I thought. This was my, my plan. I said, I know when I go back there next week, he's going to apologize profusely. And I'm going to say, I know you did the best you can. Can I have one of your hangers and your envelope, your bags that say the name of the shop, take it home, hang it in the closet, and the morning of the wedding, wake up sick and not go. Now, I'm in therapy, and my son was using drugs. He may still be, for all I know. I'm not sure. And his therapist was working with us. And she also worked for John Bradshaw. She hasn't practiced in about 20 years, but once a year or twice a year, she and I still talk. And um, she said, Hank, stop screwing around. Oh, so, so I went back, and they had the tuxedo, and I looked like Orson Welles. I had a beard. It was thicker than it is now. And um, I remember walking down the aisle. I had to walk a half a step in back of my daughter and my wife because the aisle was too narrow for me to get there. I looked like Orson Welles. And... Uh, I went, um, they got it, and I went to, saw the therapist on, that was Saturday, November 26th, 
on Tuesday, November 29th, 1988, I was sitting in my therapist's office and she said, stop screwing around, get your ass to Overeaters Anonymous. And she gave me a meeting list. And I took it home. And in those days, for you younger folks, there were no cell phones. There weren't even that many recording things. And, and I called. I don't know how many people I called, but every time an answer machine picked up, I hung up because I didn't want to leave a message. And it took me, I don't know how many calls it took, and finally I spoke, I got to a woman, and she told me where there was a meeting. It was the 100 Pounders meeting on Darby Avenue. It's now moved to a different place. And she said, can you hold out till tomorrow? I said, I'm sure I can. And uh, so I went, and I went to the meeting, and I, and I knew about it before. I'd gone there before. I checked it out. I got there too late, the wrong time. And I went there, and they had a newcomer's meeting, and, I, and that was 7.30, and the meeting was 8, and it went from 8 to 10. So I got to the meeting, uh, and whoever the speaker was handed me something to read, and I spoke from the podium at my first OA meeting. You know, because I'm not shy. I'm shy, but I overcome it. So I participated from the get-go, and I saw my doctor the next day. I didn't eat anything on Thursday, December 1st. December 2nd, I saw my internist, and I got on the scale, and I weighed 404. The last time I got on the scale, I was um, 402, and then I got down to 350, and then it came back with a little bit of interest, and, and that was it. I knew I had to do that. So what I did, I thought I was only, I thought I was only allowed to go to the 100 pounders meeting. I didn't like to go to any meeting I wanted. I just wanted to go to the 100 pounders where those guys got me. So um, the only food program that I knew about was Weight Watchers one. So I would go to Weight Watchers on Saturday morning and Overeaters Anonymous on Wednesday night. And I did that for the first month. And I lost 15 pounds the first week, and I lost 30 pounds in a month. And uh, New Year's Day was on a Saturday, and there was a men's stag. And, and some of the guys at the men's meeting, were uh, at the 100-pounders meeting, kept wanting me to come to their men's meeting. And I was always too busy, but it was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. So I went, and they opened it to both sexes. And there were a lot of cute girls there. And some of them were going to another meeting and said, you want to go to the other meeting? That was the first time I went to two meetings in one day. We, God makes you women attractive, so we keep coming back. That's the, <laughs> that, that, that's the bottom line. So I went, and then I, started, then I went to another meeting there. It's still going on Saturday afternoon in the park in Studio City. And um, that's where I met my first sponsor. So I started going to that meeting. So I started going to the uh, It was a 7.30 meeting. It's now in a church in there. It was in a, in a different place. And I started going to more meetings. And there was this guy I knew who, who liked me and said, Hank, I'm the speaker getter for this meeting um, in Northridge. And uh, I'd like you to speak there. I said, I only have two months of abstinence. He said, well, I'll book you for four months from now. It'll keep you abstinent. You'll come and show up. <laughs> and it did. So here I am, an ex-Weight Watcher lecturer. And I've been to the, the 100 pounders meeting Wednesday night, wearing whatever I'm wearing. And then for Thursday night, I got dressed up like I was going to lecture to a Weight Watchers class. And uh, lo and behold, I knew practically everybody there, and I realized this was just another stop. We were all bozos on the bus going from one town to another, wherever they'll let us gather. And I started going to more meetings. I met my first sponsor at the Saturday afternoon Studio City meeting, and he shared, and I liked what he shared. He was a year older than I am chronologically, and a couple of years in program. And he was an only child, and I'm an only child, and I wanted the big brother. And most of the sponsors I've had are guys a, year, a little bit older than I am, who don't have any siblings, and I like being the younger brother. I, I don't know why. So um, he only lost 80 pounds. I said, how can this guy relate to me? I have to lose 200 pounds. And he shared one time, he said, if he had known there would have been such fame in being a 100-pounder, he would have waited a while until he joined. 
<laughs> and I went up and said, will you be my sponsor? And uh, he said, yes. And he took me through the big book. There were no other books. And it was very strict, and I appreciated that. I had to read every day, write every day, meet with him every day. We did it in the park. I had to call him at 10 to 7 every morning. And I remember one morning I called up at 9 minutes to 7. He hung up. He said, call me tomorrow. And I was a little PO'd, but he was teaching me discipline. That was his way of doing it. It didn't happen again. Later on, when I went out to eat, I would commit my food every day and uh, went to a restaurant, and I was changing it. I had to find a payphone. That's how long ago this. I had to look for a payphone. And when I finally found it, he says, Hank, lighten up. Just say you're going to have a protein. I don't care what the hell it is. You know, so that gave me some leeway. And um, I just concluded... Uh, a term as my favorite job in Overeaters Anonymous. It's program chair for Meeting in the Valley. I just got my last speaker. I did it from January, first Saturday in January to, to, today, to today. And so um, I wanted to be that job. I had, a, you had a year of abstinence. I had a year of abstinence the night of the elections. And I wanted it, but I said, I can't be it. And they asked myself to speak. And the way God worked in my life, the scheduled speaker didn't show up, and they asked me to share when I took a candle for one year. So I was elected speaker getter. And what I was told, and what I do is that you go to meetings you normally don't go to, you listen to somebody share. If it resonates with you, you talk to them after the meeting and invite them to share at your meeting. So I know today everything with cell phones and everything, but like I said, I'm old school, and that's how I do it. That's how I do it. Um, let's see, what else? So I, I said I was an only child. Um, my parents owned a candy store. I was working behind the counter at the age of three. I was a cute little kid, and there was one customer who thought I was so cute, he wanted me to make egg creams for him. This is in Brooklyn. So I did that. And my father had this, this store, and all the candy was out. I had to put it out on the, on the racks, and I would steal some of it from my dad. You know? I, I didn't think about it. Um, my life is a lot different today. Um, that's what it was like. So what happened was, I mean, I, I told you my daughter's wedding was my bottom. I came in, I got recovery, and uh, married a couple of years, and I was unhappy in the marriage, and uh, I was afraid to go out because I was obese, who would like me or whatever, and I started losing the weight, and I became attractive to some of the women. All our choosers are out of whack when we come into this program. So um, I decided... Um, I was doing, I forgot what kind of work I was doing, but I wasn't happy in it, and I had been in broadcasting, and I'd worked in New York City, and some of the people I knew in New York City had moved, moved to uh, Washington, D.C., and they knew my work, and they wanted me to go cover, so I covered a couple of stories, if any of you remember the older ones, when Zsa, Zsa Gabor slapped the cop in Beverly Hills, she had a news conference at a house, I went to the house as one of the reporters, um, I, I did that. And so they wanted me to go to the Rose Bowl the night before and talk to people from Iowa who were freezing their asses off. So I did that, and I spoke to the guy, and two or three months go by, and I'm not getting paid. And I said to him, what's going on with the check? He's, he's got to go to his supervisor and whatever. Finally, they sent me a check for twice as much. So now I'm doing this rigorous honesty thing, and I call him up. I say, you gave me too much money. He said, Keep it as interest, because if you send it back, who knows when you'll get it. So that absolved me of any more responsibility. I did my part and said I could have it. So the last year we were married, we went on a trip. We went to New Orleans. And I've been in the program a couple of years then. And uh, I know when I go out of town, I go to meetings. And somebody came to the hotel, picked me up, and took me to a meeting. 
in New Orleans on a Saturday morning. I shared for three minutes. Forgot about it. A year later, I'm moving to Washington, D.C., and people are handing me names of people they know in Washington to call to get connected with OA. So any addict, I don't care what your program is, if you're practicing recovery, you can move anywhere where there's a meeting and you have an instant community. We're so fortunate like that. So the first person I called was at the meeting in New Orleans the year before and recognized my voice and came and got me, met me the next morning, took me to a meeting where I got a meeting list. Um, and the company was only putting me up for three nights, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I spoke to her Saturday. She picked me up on Sunday. I went to the meeting Monday, and uh, I had the two dogs, and I got in, and I moved in Tuesday with the, with the two dogs. And that's how, and I've told people, I've shared it means. Any addict in any program has a better chance of recovery wherever they move because you have an instant community. All you have to do is open your mouth. And most of us are shy when we get here. I wasn't that shy. I think, I've been in the presence of half a dozen presidents. I've confronted LBJ uh, on a story. I, I pressed him for an answer three times before I finally sat down. I was at uh, a papal mass by Pope John Paul at Camden Yards. I, I was at Bill Clinton's uh, inaugural and uh, got to interview Rosalind Carter for a minute or two. And my advice to her was, what advice would you give the new first lady? And she said, and she, as you say, she said, don't believe everything you read in the press. No, that was cute, but that's what I did. I learned that I ask the questions. I'm not responsible for the answers. But if I don't like it, I can press it. They're avoiding it. I can rephrase it. And so what happened with LBJ, I was 28, I think, in Norwich, Connecticut, and he had his new Great Society. And the head Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development was creating all these programs to, for small communities. So it was a big news for my little town of 40,000. And... Uh, Every time I would go back and follow up, he said, they had to send it back to HUD. They kept changing. They changed the requirements again. It happened for six months, nine months. So I, I, LBJ, for some reason, recognized me to ask the first question because he didn't know me or whatever. And my question was, Mr. President, why does your Department of Housing and Urban Development keep changing the requirements so cities can never get the money? And he gave me some BS answer, and I rephrased it. Another BS answer, and I rephrased it a third time before I finally sat down. I couldn't do the whole thing. And my, my employer was very proud of me. I was 28 years old confronting the President of the United States. I didn't care. Um, I had a relationship with, with the police department. The city had 40,000 people, 42,000 people, 40, 40 people in the police. Department. On June 5th, um, when Bobby Kennedy was shot in L.A., I got a call from the police department saying, you may want to get into the station early and set up for the news because Bobby Kennedy was just shot. That's the kind of rapport I built up with people. So. I work this program. I'm serious about it. Uh, with computers and everything, I don't write as much. My, oh, my first sponsor said, write with a fountain pen. And he said, this was the thing. When you write with a fountain pen, it goes from your head to your heart to your hand and out on the paper. You get rid of all those resentments. And that's what I did. Um, he and I traveled together. We went, we went to... Uh, Oh, where did we go? We went to New Mexico together. We went to an AA meeting at some Indian reservation where they were really tough. And... Uh, it was, it was just uh, an amazing, amazing life. So I moved to Washington, stayed in there. I got to go to a meeting uh, there, and I was, was a, they just started a 100-pounders meeting. I was there a week or two. So I got to be a, a founding father of that meeting, and uh, then I, there I met a woman, and I'm separated from my wife, and uh, we got involved, and she was very wise. She said, do not get in love with, do not fall in love with me. I'm your transitional relationship. 
So that's all any addict needs to hear. I stopped <laughs> I'll prove you. I fell in love with her and it didn't work out and it was there, you know. And we don't talk, we haven't talked in 25 years. But uh, for a while it was there. Those were the only people I dated were people that I met in OA. We had that thing in common. Now at my age, um, I recently met somebody and I'm thrilled. She tells me she's thrilled. I take her at her word. I don't have to examine what the motive is behind it. We're just, we're just, we're just getting along, and and it's great. I'll do service. Um, so again, so I went to. Um, I heard about somebody. I was getting the speakers for Tarzana, and I asked somebody to speak, who was coming up from Tor- Torrance. And then a couple of weeks later, I went to the Torrance meeting. She asked me to speak at the Torrance meeting, and then I met other. I met people that I knew from 30 years ago. So it's great. I love being uh, an old-timer, a long-timer, also an old-timer. It beats the alternative. But how much time do I have left? Just under 20. Just under 20. And how long was the whole thing? 20 to 40? Not 10 minutes. Okay. okay. I think I'm going to answer questions, so I have nothing. Just keep coming back. That, that's the bottom line. No matter what you do, keep coming back. Be honest. Right. I read the big book. I just got a copy of the second edition of the big book recently. So I'm reading the stories. The first 158 pages are the same in all, in all the editions. But I love reading that. Oh, I met Roseanne, the, the woman who founded it. And she signed my book. She signed it. She wrote her book and I signed it. And she signed it for me. It was very cute. And then when she passed away, there was a memorial service for her. And the, one of the people who was the leading speakers there, he shared about it, and she wrote the same thing in his book. I found out later she wrote the same thing in everybody's book. Here I thought I was so special. You know? So I'm not. I'm just a, a regular guy. Um, I'm down probably 20 inches off my waist at the top at the top weight, and I'm just grateful to be alive today. And I've got a life, as Roseanne promised, it's beyond my wildest dreams. So thank you, Aaron, for inviting me to speak. And I'll open it up to questions. Go ahead. And then you. One, two. Uh, can you talk about a little bit about your experience with step work? With step work? Mm-hmm. I sometimes I trip. <laughs> <laughs> When I talk about my experience with step, can I, will I talk about my experience with step work? As I said, Irving was my first sponsor, and I was his first sponsee. I had no choice. He he told me uh, what time I had to call him, and I'm at ten to seven every morning. One morning I called him at nine to seven, and he hung up on me. He was teaching me discipline. So I read it. I took it over to his house when I had the first three steps done. And, we, and there was no, no literature. There was no OA literature. And there wasn't even the AA 12 and 12. We were all strictly working out of the big book. And my son had been incarcerated for drug use. And he had to go to 12-step meetings. That's where I met my, the therapist who helped me. And uh, the dog chewed part of his big book that he wasn't using and I was using. And Irving said, get your own damn big book. So I went out and got my own damn big book. So he taught me discipline. So when I heard him share, I don't know if I said this, he shared he, he had lost 80 pounds. Did I say that before? Okay, so it's not forgetting Alzheimer's, early onset or late onset. So um, with step work. So he took me through the steps. We did steps one, two, and three. And step three, I went to his house, and we did it in, uh, I forgot what the pages in the... Uh, maybe the AA 12 and 12, or the, or the big book, probably the AA big book, where we talk about, we, we list our resentments and everything. 
and we got down on the floor and he took me in his arms and he third, said the third step prayer at the top of his lungs and I had to repeat it and that was a spiritual one, one sentence at a time and that, that was a significant change and he said okay go home and start your fourth step I'll meet you in six weeks and you'll give it to me there was no whatever I had was you know whatever I did in those six weeks or four weeks whatever it was and I gave it to him and uh, we burned it we burned it in a trash can at the park and I went on starting one of my amends before the program I went to uh, Oakland I think for a wedding on my wife's side of the family and I stole two glasses that I thought were cute from the bed and breakfast 20 years before I'm in the program and I didn't think about it that much I'm in Rouse I see the same glasses 49 cents each and I'm driving myself crazy for, for, for 98 cents so I said to Irving what do I do he said call the guy and t- tell him what you did and ask him what he wants you to do so I started calling the guy and he was never there and I'm running up a th- oh, and, I, and I'm running up a bill on the phone bill calling more so I'm building a resentment and he said I know what courage it took he was in a 12 step program he said for the next week when you go to your meetings put an extra dollar in the basket mm-hmm. that, that's what worked that's how this program works miracles has worked miracles in my life okay next yes Thank you. Can you uh, talk about your spirituality or lack of before program, what your higher power became in the program, and how you practice your spirituality? Okay. I didn't have any before program. Uh, I maybe had some religion, uh, was active in the, in the synagogue that I attended, was uh, created, did, did a lot of things there. And now it's different. I start out my days on my knee. I read from three books. I read four books. I read a page or two from the big book. I read Melody Beattie's The Language of Letting Go. I then read Voices of Recovery, and then I read the white book, daily, the daily book. And I read those, and then I take a shower and get dressed or whatever. And before I leave the house, I get down on my knees, and I say this uh, first three steps, and along with the third step prayer and the, se- and the seventh step prayer, and they get on my way. That, that's, that's I do that every day. Every day. Next. You and then you. Um, can you talk about um, how do you see your higher power? Benevolent, loving, forgiving. Can you repeat the question? Oh, but I describe my, how I how do I describe my higher power? It's benevolent, forgiving, understanding, loves me. Because I didn't know love, and my parents couldn't give it to me. My father was the youngest of eleven children. His mother died when he was two or three, and he was raised by uh, his sisters. My mother was the oldest girl of nine children, and she raised her family. They met in the 30s, married late in life, had me, I think he was 38 and she was 35. They were business people, and I was farmed out to other people, so I felt totally unloved. They had a, a candy store luncheonette in uh, the uh, Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn. And when I was five years old, and one night I woke up, and there were two burglars in the house. I was left alone. I said, what are you doing? He said, your parents sent us over from the candy store. You're going on a trip tomorrow. We're just helping them pack. So I went back to bed. You know, that, that's the kind of thing with the neglect. And it was just they didn't think. My, my mother was 35 or, when she had me. So I'm like one of those people. I know a lot of women have it different. From my experience, I think childbearing is really young. Just how screwed up I am. So you had a question. Yeah. You mentioned your absence a little bit. Can you talk about how your absence has changed over time when you came in? Well, in the beginning, 
Irving and I decided I could eat anything. Wait, I, I, the question was, could I describe how my abstinence has evolved over time? Um, so Irving said I could eat anything. Weight Watchers said I could eat. So Weight Watchers used the term exchanges. I'm in the program one year. I'm down 100 pounds. And I had 12-stepped a friend of mine. He and his wife had two sons. My wife and I had a daughter and a son. And they sort of knew each other. And they went out for Thanksgiving where they were doing their things. And this couple invited my wife and I over to uh, their house for a Thanksgiving lunch. And I called Irving with my food that day. And I said, I'm going to have a slice of pumpkin pie. He said, you can't have it. I said, yes, I can. We agreed I could have anything Weight Watchers said I could have. And it's an exchange on Weight Watchers. So stop screwing around. I can have the pumpkin pie. He said, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Finally, Irving relented. And he said, you can have it under one condition. I said, what's that? He said, before you eat it, you have to get down on your knees and pray to it because it's your higher power. <laughs> I did not have it. So when I hear people say, when I hear people say they have trouble believing in a higher power, my answer is anything you or I or we're addicted to is our higher power. I'm the kind of guy who's like a new car every three years or every six months or whatever. I don't do that anymore. I'm happy. With, I'm content with what I want, what I have. I have a dog. Um, I have a girlfriend. Uh, I have a job. I, I gave her notice uh, last September on my 76th birthday. I said, I'll work for you four more years, but I don't think I could take it here after 80. And sometimes I'm wishing the calendar would move a little faster, but I could always change it. But I'm respected there. I have three weeks vacation. I do things. I'm a veteran. And I'm really blessed with the, some of the stuff. Oh, uh, with the VA, uh, I, I enlisted in the Army in 1963, and uh, they had a thing they called Choice Not Chance. Kennedy, JFK, was Commander-in-Chief. This was before the Bay of Pigs. And I, I, enlist, I decided I wanted to be a military policeman because I was a coward. I thought it would give me courage. Makes certain sense to me. So I, while I was in uh, military police training, I injured my foot. And they said I couldn't do that anymore. And they sent me to another fort to be a clerk typist. And I said, I thought to myself, I did not join the Army to learn how to type. So I went to see the doctor at the new fort. And he said two things. He said, they shouldn't have taken you in. They shouldn't have operated. And you're going home. So I went on my way. I didn't apply for any benefits. I was young and healthy and all that stuff. Years later, after my divorce, that I moved to Washington, my feet were killing me, and I complained about them at an OA meeting, and an OA men's meeting, and one of the guys at the meeting worked with veterans. And I don't know if he said they were wrong or changed. He walked me through the process, and I started out with getting 30%, uh, 10%, then I got just for my feet, and everything else that I was working, so I didn't care. Then I got 30%, and now I'm getting 60%, and, and my payment... And I get all my medical treatment there. I just had a procedure two days ago at the VA. And it's free. It's absolutely free. My employer pays me, um, pays my dental. So my basic, most of my money comes from Social Security and the VA disability pension. And uh, the, the money I make for my part-time job is my play money. And I get to do fun things. No, that's that. Anything else? Oh, you and then you. You go first. Um, was there ever time you were close to like breaking your accident and so what stopped you? Yeah, I think there was a time I thought I was going to start over and somebody said I was being too strict, just continue with the day. I don't remember the details, but I think I have to start over and he said, you start over every morning, keep keep moving ahead. So it works, like I said, I don't, if, as, long, as long as I mean, I can go to a restaurant and I can eat something that I wouldn't eat at home 
And as long as people could see me, I don't know if they're looking at me, but in my mind says they can see what's on my plate. So it must be okay for somebody my size to be eating that. Does that make any sense? Okay. You, sir. Okay. Can you tell me your experience like going to parties with buffets? Sure. When I go to parties with buffets, I usually just get some protein. And, and Oh, another thing. I don't get seconds. I get different. If I go to Las Vegas and I hang out with my friends and we go to a buffet, I may go for something. And if I want something more, I go back, but I don't get a second serving of the thing I got the first time. I get something different. So that, that works for me. That gives me some leeway and some, uh, you know, we want it to be a little loose, but not too loose that it falls apart. Anybody else? Okay, you have more time for sharing then. Thank you so much for inviting me, Aaron. It was an honor and I appreciate it.